Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. Whenever and wherever you're listening, we just wanted to extend the warmest of welcomes. So kick back and relax as we continue through our sermon series. Well, it's good to be with you today, and uh, if you're with us online, good to be with you as well. Just uh, give you a heads up today, we're going to partake in communion at the end of service. So if you want to grab those things during the message today, make sure you uh, take a quick moment to do that so you can participate with us as we uh, respond to today's message with worship and communion. Uh, my name is Larry. For those of you who are new here, I'm um, one of the pastors here. We have um, been going through the book of Matthew, um, but we are going to pause in two weeks. Uh, we are going to actually not gather here uh, corporately and collectively. We're going to gather out in the community together uh, and do a serve day. We did this a couple years ago. It was a fantastic way to actually live out what we're talking about and uh, see just just the, the value of unleashing compassion that actually makes a difference and an impact in our community. And so I'm encouraging you, I want to encourage you um, to take some time after the service today, or if you're online with us, there's going to be a form that you can click if you go over to the chat area. Or in your app, you can download that and actually sign up for Serve Day. And so why would you need to sign up? It's because we want to be able to tell you where to show up. Uh, because there is um, particular needs and some spaces that we're going to be serving in some areas of the community or the individuals we're serving in this community uh, only need a certain amount of people and some areas we need some more people and some areas work really well and are more conducive for like families and kids and things to do like that. So if you could sign up, that would be really helpful. This is also additionally a reminder don't come here on that Sunday because we're going to be out there on Sunday, right? Um, and so just as a, a reminder for that, we'd love for you to sign up. Um, we're going to hop in right now into Matthew. Um, we have a, a lot to cover. If you have your journal, we're on page 57. There's this journal that we created that's kind of laying out how we're going to walk through uh, Matthew verse by verse. If this is your first time with us at the end of the service day, we would love to give that as a gift to you just for being here so you can catch up and follow along uh, and hang out with us. We also want to see you if it's your second or third time as well at our new friends area. Um, But that definitely we want to get in your hands so you can follow along with us. Great place to take notes. And like I said, see where we've been, see where we're going so you're right in with everything that we're doing. So we've just finished the temptations of Jesus being in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. And so we're going to jump in the next verse. We just finished at verse 11. We're going to jump into verse uh, 12. And we've just finished the wilderness situation. And says, Now, when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew to Galilee. We're going to pause right here because this word now is something I think you should highlight or circle or underline. This is a fascinating word. This is actually a really important word, this word now right now. And the reason is because it forces us to figure out the timeline of like what's actually taking place when this now thing uh, hopped out at us, when we went from wilderness to this now moment. Now, when you study this and you look at through the scriptures, this now right here was actually a year of Jesus' ministry. Um, Scholars say that Jesus' ministry is about three years long, and we actually fast forward from the wilderness a whole year. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all do this. And so what they would see the first year of Jesus' ministry is is more of a year of obscurity. 
This first year would represent a year of obscurity because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, these are the first four books in the New Testament, don't mention any of the, the things that John, we actually have to look to John to see what happened. And I'm going to tell you about that in just a minute. But from Matthew's standpoint, it doesn't take place. A year of obscurity. His second year of his three years would be seen as the year of popularity. It'd be the year of popularity where he started rising in popularity around people and everyone loves him and they're like following him and there's some excitement to it and there's crowds that are coming and showing up. Now his third year would be the year of rejection. We would see this as the year of rejection. So that's the kind of the way that you could slot Jesus' life and ministry. But Matthew doesn't tell us about his first year. He, he, Jesus comes out of the gate he starts his ministry, and we don't know what happened. And so you have to actually go to John's gospel, the fourth book in the New Testament, um, the gospel of John, to figure out what happens. And you get to see that in chapters 2 through 4. It tells us everything that Jesus did in that first year, what's going on. And so here's what happens is Jesus goes from this wilderness moment, and you're looking at John, and in John chapter 2, the first thing you get is this miracle that's familiar with many of you, where he turns water into wine, yeah. Turns water into wine, and his mom comes to him. They're at this, this uh, a party. They're at a wedding. They're at this feast, which is multiple days long. And they're hanging out there. And um, mom comes up to him and says, they're running out of wine, which is a huge issue culturally then because it's embarrassment that we don't have enough food or we can't be proper hosts. And so mom, like, knows what's up. So she's asking Jesus to take care of this. And he's telling her, hey, this isn't my time yet. This isn't what's supposed to take place. Needless to say, what ends up happening is he turns water into wine, and the master of the feast goes and tastes the wine before it goes out to the people. And the master of the feast drinks this, and he says, this is crazy. Like, this isn't normal. Like, you guys are giving better wine now than what you did at the beginning of the party. And if you've ever hosted a party, you know how this goes, right? You start with the bottles, and you end with the boxes. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? That's how it goes. Like, everybody's had a little bit. It's not, it's not that big of a deal, the taste and stuff like this. And he's going, oh, well, you, you've like flipped the switch here. What happened? Like, you already started with the good stuff, but you're bringing out the good stuff. What's going on? So, so now we read in John chapter 2 and he, that he's fascinated that there's this better wine that would come later. And the whole point of that isn't about wine at all in this miracle. It's about salvation history. And Jesus says that the way of religion, the way and the rule of the world where people would have to like earn their way to God. They didn't have to do, they'd have to do a certain amount of good things that suddenly God was saying, okay, 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 you're my covenant people. Uh, that way was fine. That way was good, a, a good way to connect. But now I'm bringing a new way. I'm bringing a new way, a better way. It's a better wine, a better way of life. That there was this shift, a new covenant was coming. So some of you have walked in here with all kinds of different lives, and maybe for the first time, maybe you're here, would love that. You're investigating Christianity or who Jesus is or what it looks like to follow him, and you're uh, not someone who's believed in Jesus for a long time, maybe you're wondering about this, and that's awesome. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. And you have this particular way that you do life. And what happens is, is when you meet Jesus, you find yourself satisfied in him, the cross goes from this weird obscurity, this weird obscurity that you've had in your life, that you've looked at it this way, to precious to you. That when you discover and you meet Jesus, that your entire life begins to be transformed. 
And then you go, man, now this life that I have, this is so much better than it was before. But you only realize that from the perspective of once you get transformed. When you can look back and be like, man, I can see the difference in my life. And so now that's what he's done in John chapter 2 of the Gospel of John. He meets, uh, then he goes on in this next uh, part of this ministry we hear about. As he goes and he talks with this guy named Nicodemus. And he talks about this new birth in chapter 3 and what that looks like. Then, then this another infamous story that we miss out on in Matthew and Mark and Luke right here. Then he goes and he meets a woman at the well. And he talks to her about the spring of life and that life and satisfaction only comes through him in John chapter 4. And all of this happens in the first year. All of this happens in the now. And Matthew leaves it out and jumps from the temptation of Jesus, and it leaves us without this explanation. So that's why this word now is so fascinating. So I would tell you, write a note to yourself, maybe circle now, and then put like a little thing next to it and says, go to John 2 through 4. So you can get the what now was all about. So let's continue reading. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, this is John the Baptist, he withdrew into Galilee. John the Baptist arrested raises another fascinating question for many of us. John was a faithful guy, and we got to hear a lot about John uh, just a few weeks ago. He's a faithful guy, and yet he gets arrested, put in prison, and if you don't know how he ends up losing his life, he's beheaded. So there's this awful evil that happens to him, this suffering and this pain and this destruction of his life that takes place. And it raises this question about when, uh, when I was, uh, wasn't a Christian yet, one of the things that used to hold me back, like one of the things that's really confusing, and this is, I feel like, the question of life that many of us have, which is, why would God do these types of things? Why would he allow these types of things to happen? Why would he allow a, a faithful guy, a good people who believe in God like John the Baptist have some kind of experience where they end up in jail or, or a person ends up losing all of their money or their house or this diagnosis that they get that's cancerous? And why would bad things ever happen in the world if there's this all-powerful, all-loving God? And this is one of the great philosophical questions that everyone has to deal with, that everyone has to answer in their life. And even if you're an atheist, and you're just kind of like dabbing your toe in here, maybe you're joining us online, you're not actually off the table from answering questions like that as well. Because you have to answer different questions, which is, why do you even have a category called suffering and evil to begin with? Because if there is no God, you would never have a category called evil by that which you're actually putting God on trial for. So that's the kind of issues that you have to deal with when you're reading this, and you're like, wait, John's this like faithful, good guy, and now he's arrested, and he's going to have this horrible death, and, and that if, if we're looking at these kinds of issues and we're dealing with them philosophically, like how could good things, uh, bad things happen to good people, um, and we're looking at this, we would realize that if it all just kind of flowed and, and things didn't take place or we didn't have uh, to deal with situations that God kind of like redeemed and was a part of, then everything would just become this relative mor- morality. And as a Christian, we have to deal with why would God do this? Why does he allow this? And uh, that was me growing up, right? Asking those questions like, why do hurricanes happen? Like, why does earthquakes happen? You know, like the simple questions that get much more in depth as you get older, which is, why does like my loved one die or a friend die or get really sick? And when you read texts like this, 
that's what can kind of like like bump us around and like give us a little wobble uh, in our walk to ask these questions. Like, how is it possible that these things can happen? I mean, like this is Jesus is like, this is the guy who's paving the way for Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you, we don't have time to get into all of the nuances of that. We uh, had some conversations about this back in our Jeremy series over the summer. You can check this out. But this next part of this um, scripture, these verses we're going to look at right here, gives us a hint a hint into maybe why some of these things would take place. So now Jesus heard that John the Baptist, John, had been taken into custody, and he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he came and he settled in Capernaum, which was by the sea in a region of Zebulun and Naphtal. This happened so that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet would be filled. So here's one side of one half of the answer to why is there evil and suffering. Even atheist uh, philosophers would agree that sometimes evil and suffering might be justified. That it's shown that a greater good, that often greater good actually comes about because of the moment of suffering in our lives. The, the difficult things. John the Baptist goes away to prison. And the, this was the impetus towards the greater good that was going to take place in the universe that John gets eliminated so that Jesus could come then and save the world. So even uh, 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 psychologically, philosophically, we understand that sometimes in this case that actually most philosophers recognize that it's through pain and suffering the greatest things actually come about. They actually take place in our life, that the greatest lessons come this way. There was a uh, a journalist, a famous journalist named Malcolm Mudridge. And years ago, he said that if there was a pill that he could take to eliminate pain and suffering from my life, he said, I would never take it because in my 76 years, pain is the way I've learned anything worth learning. If it was possible to take all pain away, I wouldn't take it because it would make life trivial. So that's the question then that's raised, which is how do we deal with that there's a greater good that can actually take place. How do we deal with it? There's a greater good that actually can take place, that the greater good of Jesus comes about because of John the Baptist and his arrest. And he doesn't get the privilege of making this connection. John doesn't get this privilege of making this connection. He goes away to prison and he never sees it. And it's actually beautiful because what it shows us is that in order to get resurrection, you need a brutal death of crucifixion. And that's actually the center of the Christian faith. That, that this suffering, or this evil, the greater good that comes from this is the center of the Christian faith. And that's why we have hope at all. I'll give you an example in my own life of uh, difficulty and greater good coming from that. So 12 years ago, almost 12 years ago, began a transition from Arizona uh, to here, to Benicia and uh, to come out of this church. And so my family, we were in the midst of our own transition. We had a two-year-old and an infant, our infant. We had just adopted from Ethiopia and brought him back into the country. And so we're trying to attach and dealing now with two children and then also dealing with everything else comes with that and the issues that come um, through, you know, uh, an infant that's been living in an orphanage. And then suddenly we're tossed into this time in our life um, where we had to leave where we were and go someplace that was uncomfortable. And I began then to commute between Northern California and Arizona, back and forth. 
and would spend just a couple of days with family, a couple of times a, a, a couple of times a month, and then would go our separate ways, and I would be out here. And that was really, really difficult. And then all of the family moved out here, and then it was like trying to find friends or trying to make connections and being new to everything, and then also, you know, like I said, dealing with this family situation and being connected in the church. And there was times that was so confusing that this stuff was so difficult and trying to connect with people or feel like that you're a part of this community, that this fear and isolation of like, what are we doing? And we don't have any family out here and we're on this island and we at least know we have family back where we were and we had friends that we were back where we were and everything's just starting over here. There was times where it was like painful that would have just been easier to go back, Right? just been easier to like, hey, let's just go back because that's comfortable. We at least know that. We have support systems going on there. But if in that moment of pain, if that, that moment of suffering, that moment of isolation, if we pack up and then we go back to security, we go back to comfort, then we go back to where we feel like it's safe, we would miss out on some of the greatest friends that we've ever made in our life. We would miss out on that. We, we would miss out. I would miss out on the greatest church that I have ever known, a faith community that I've ever known. Yeah. I would miss out. Here's what it is. I would miss out on you. I would miss out on looking out at you every week. And this is a great privilege of mine. And I love how you clap for yourself. You're like, we are awesome. <laughs> We're so good. You are so privileged. Yes. You're welcome. Right? <laughs> I love it. But that's the greater good that came about because these moments of pain and isolation and fear, what happened? What happened is this is we poured ourselves into, I'm telling you right now, I poured myself into Jesus more than ever I have in my life before. Poured into that, and that forced us to do it. So we run from every imprisonment and we run from every beheading when life life would just become trivial and boring and the adventure that Jesus has laid out for us when he gets a couple of guys in just a little bit we're going to see who are out fishing and starts calling them into this great adventure, this transformative adventure. And that's why we're talking about today. This is about an invitation, an invitation that Jesus is going to lay out to follow him and not just be some casual listener, but to actually be like a convicted, committed listener who goes, what does it mean to actually follow Jesus? Like, what does it mean to actually go out and serve the community and be hands and feet and tangible answers to prayer, not just somebody that says like, oh yeah, I'm praying for you. But like leans in and says like, how and what? And is there an answer that can come along? Can God use me? And so verse 14 Verse 14 says, so it was spoken by the prophet, this is Isaiah, um, that Isaiah might be filled. This is from Isaiah 9.15. And this is why Jesus, this is what Jesus was saying. He was there in this place. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtal, by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee and the, of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in the darkness saw a great light and those who were sitting in the land and the shadow of death Upon them the light dawned. So this was the, the prophet, the prophecy that was spoken about why Jesus, why this had happened, why he ended up being here. And this is beautiful because what it's saying is that Jesus comes out in the world and he shines as a light and it presses up and it pushes back darkness. Now this is where it becomes offensive, offensive for a lot of us who are 21st century thinkers. 
And it might, we might come in here and we're not really sure about Christianity or following Jesus and maybe we're wondering about God and we think about things the way that we've been brought up in a particular way and we live our life in a particular way and we think about sex a particular way or money a particular way or marriage a particular way or job and what looks like success a particular way. We have these ideas about what life should be and what this text is saying is don't be offended by this, but kind of really be offended by this. What it's saying is that this, this state, this situation, and this state of mind where you and I sit, where all of us are, before we let the light in, who is Jesus in this text, hit us and transform us that we're dead. We're dead. We're in the darkness. We're living in the shadow. And that it's actually this light that comes in and shines and pushes back the darkness, then that's our reality. And so some of us might not actually feel that way. We're like, wait, I didn't wake up this morning thinking like, oh, I live in darkness, right? You don't self-perceive that way. We don't self-perceive that way. This is where the Bible actually trumps your perception of reality and goes, whatever you feel, your reality is that you're in the darkness. That if you haven't experienced the transformative work of Jesus You're actually in the darkness, meaning that the Bible says that every human being, every human being is made in the image of God. It talks about that. We're all made in the image of God. So it's beautiful. This is what it's teaching, that every human being was actually made in God's image, which means that you've never met like a normal human being in your life, a normal everyday person. Nobody is average. Nobody is normal. Everybody's extraordinary. Everybody is awesome. Everybody is made in the image of God, and that's amazing. But every single one of us is dead. Mm, Yeah. We're in the shadow of death until the light presses up against us, he's saying. That pushes this stuff back. And we've seen thousands of people. We've experienced this. Some of you guys have witnessed this even in our own faith community, in our own church, where people who, who literally believed in Jesus for the first time, or maybe made this connection and Jesus began to do this transforming work in them where they say, one minute I value these things in my life, and the next minute I value this book more than anything else. I've dropped all these other things, but I've kept the book. And all of a sudden, I care about Jesus and serving him and all of that stuff. Now everything shifts in that person. So what happened? What happens in those moments? It's because we've moved from this place of darkness to light. That literally our mind was focused on this set of things. This is how we live. This was our particular way of life. These things that we loved, these things that we worshipped and lifted up, and these things that we've done, and now suddenly it's a new direction. And somewhere along the line, you lit up. Your mind actually goes, what used to be folly to me, the cross was folly Like, it was nonsense, it was silly, it was ridiculous. And some of you are here still in that state, thinking about Christianity or following Jesus. You're like, Christianity is folly, like it's silly. And I understand, I'll I'll tell you why I understand this. Um, Because we say really weird, stupid things. I'm just going to say that. And sometimes we do really weird stuff. That confuses what you would think is as normal thinking people. I'll give you my example. When I was young, I remember going to VBS and... uh, I was sitting there, and I'm listening, I'm like learning, trying to figure out the stuff. EBS was called Vacation Bible School. Uh, you went for a couple hours, and you know, people dressed up, and they would act out Bible stories, and you would learn these things. 
And I remember it was like my first time at one of these things. And I was like fascinated because at that age, um, the, like, the big thing that I'm interested in at that time was like dinosaurs. They're pretty legit. And so I like raised my hand and I was like, so wait, like, how does this work? Like Adam like, and Eve, like, were they just like riding dinosaurs and stuff? Like those were their pets? Like how does this work? And you saw like every kid at MBS turn and be like, oh, it's like a, the Toy Story, like all of the little aliens and like, oh, the dinosaur question. <laughs> and I was sitting there and they're all like, wow, yes, the dinosaur question, right? And literally the guy looks at me and, and everyone in front of these kids and he looks at me and he's, he, his little answer was Satan. And I was like, what? And he's like, Satan put dinosaur bones in the earth to deceive the world. And like all the homeschool kids were like, yeah, that's right, right. And I, <laughs> I was like, right? And I was like dumbfounded. I was sitting there, and I'm like a nine-year-old kid, and I'm like, oh, like, that's crazy, right? And so then you look around. This is why we think it's fully. We looked around. It's like, oh, so you're all crazy. Everyone's just crazy here. Like, that's nonsense. It doesn't even make sense. And so we wonder why people look at us and go, folly, silly, nonsense. But this isn't what Jesus does. He enters in. He enters this light, and he illuminates like makes us shift our mind. It's like it comes alive and understand not only just our heart is changed, but our mind does this shift that this thing is actually taking place in us. Like we understand things like we never understood things before because this is, this is somebody who we're now starting to make a deeper connection with, with the God of the universe, somebody who transcends material, physical reality, that it actually exists. Like you know, when you're starting to try to understand how do, we, how do we ever even get consciousness? And we get consciousness, we can't get consciousness from matter. And you need consciousness, consciousness before matter. And so matter doesn't produce consciousness. There's a way that our minds can actually be enlightened to the things of Jesus. And when we are enlightened to those things, we suddenly make this deeper connection that's actually transforming us, everything in us from this darkness to light. Everything in our life starts to get changed. That's why when he's talking about this, that he's pushing against this thing in our life, this, this, this darkness, this shadow in our life that actually changes our life. And so Jesus says this. So you pick it up in verse 17. This is now Jesus speaking right there. Here we go. Or this is, he's going to be speaking right here. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach. He began to preach. Underline the word preach. What does Jesus do? He goes out and tells the gospel to people, this good news, this transformation. He doesn't do something that we love to do. What we love to do is we love to think, I really hope my coworkers and my family and my sphere of friends and my members can figure out the gospel by me just hanging out with them. Like I'm going to rub some Jesus off on them, Right? We're just hanging out. Like I'm going and I'm sitting with them and I'm spending time with them and I'm doing hard work and they're just going to see how wonderful and transformed my life is. And they're going to be like, whoa, I need that, right? They're just going to catch it in the air like a sneeze or something, right? And that's, that's what we do. I know people who are like, yeah, man, like I go to parties. Like I go to my friends and I'm like going into parties and, you know, like I'm just going to sit down with people and make sure I have like a, a beer with them or a glass of wine because like that's what Jesus would do. He, that's what he was doing. He was going and hanging out with people and he was drinking wine with them and he was hanging out with sinners. And um, I, 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 that's what I, I don't need to do the other stuff to like tell them about this. I just need to hang out with them and they're just going to figure their life out. 
Uh, you know, you think like, if I cut, cut the neighbor's grass enough, if, if I make them like enough cookies, they're going to figure it out. They're going to one day look outside and be like, look at them cutting my grass again. I figured it out. <laughs> I figured it out. I am a person who is a depraved sinner. Look at them cutting my grass. I now understand I need the second person of the Trinity to come in and change my life and do transformative work because they're cutting my grass. These random acts of kindness make sense, right? That's not how it works. That's not how it works. And, it, and it's not what happened at all. No one's going to do that. I don't know how many people you've met that just make a decision because they like you rubbed off on them a little bit. What you need to do is preach. You need to preach. And I don't mean like get up and like yell at people. I'm talking about you need to talk it out. That's what he's talking about right here is you need to actually talk about you need to articulate with words the message, what the beautiful message of Jesus is in your life. Because they're not going to figure it out when we like hide behind like, well, I'll just go and I'll hang out at the wine party. Listen, here's what Jesus did. He hung out. They actually called him a wine bibber. Like he hung out with sinners and he partied and he feasted. But you know what happened? Every time Jesus went to the party, one of two things happened. Everybody at the party repented or they got kicked him out because he talked too much about God. So which of those two happen when you're at a party? I'm just wondering, because which of those two particular things happens when you're at a party? Because those are the two producers. If you're saying, I'm going to be like Jesus and do these things, you're telling me, you're telling them about Jesus because Jesus, he doesn't yell. He then says, repent. He says the same exact line that John had given when he first started this. He began to repent, say, preach and say, repent for the kingdom of God is near. You go down just a couple verses into verse 23, which we won't get to today. That's next week. And he starts like healing people and loving people and meeting their felt needs. And he starts actually doing stuff both in word, word and deed. Yeah. He's not just saying these things. He's then doing them. It's a collective. It's a collaborative. It's together. He's doing stuff both in word and deed. And we tend to just do one or the other. But he comes out and he preaches and he proclaims and he articulates this message of God. He tells people, he says, repent, which literally means this Greek word, repent, is metatoia, metanoia, metanoia. And it, it, it's where you actually, like, your mind actually shifts. It does like a 180, that your mind actually, like, does a, does a, a turns on. That this is the way you thought about these types of things and what you valued in this repentance is that it actually shifts. This is now when you thought about intimacy this way or money this way or work this way or success this way. Metanoia is where your brain turns and it begins to think about everything in 180 degrees, an opposite kind of way. It's uh, how your mind works. It's the brain's way of connecting to your life the way that you think now about God, the way that you think about eternity, the way that you think about yourself and what you're giving. And so he's saying, you're, you're moving in this direction, and here's my call. Here's my call. You need to repent. You need to repent. You need to turn around, some of you, the way that you think about or that you've thought about God. He's saying, I want to give you a whole new way of thinking. I want to change this whole direction of your life. This isn't just some of you where it's just a footnote in your life where you believe some doctrines and you go into your life and you just keep living the same way. But when this happens, it changes everything 
the entire direction of your life. And then he says, for the kingdom of God is at hand. For the kingdom of God is at hand. A couple weeks ago, if you remember, we talked about the kingdom of heaven is not a place you go to when you die, but the kingdom of God is something you experience now in the reign and the rule of Jesus and the power of God in your life. God to transform your life on a personal level in a present time right here in front of us. It's at hand and it's so powerful. So what do we do with it? Verse 18 it says, now Jesus was walking with the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. So here's what he's, he's saying. And here's what I want you to do. He's saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to figure out how to go and catch people. You've been working on catching fish. I want you to take those same things. I want you to work on catching people. I want you to catch their life. I want them to meet Jesus. I want them to know that now this is the new priority of their life. Whether you're a soccer mom or you work at a corporation somewhere or you own your own business or you're a teacher or a doctor, a nurse, I want you to preach to people. I want you to fish for people and I want you to catch them with the love of Christ. That's his call to these disciples. Hey, you were doing this, but now I want you to catch people with the love of Christ. I want you to fish for people, not for money, not for success, not for fame, not for pleasure. And the main thing is that you find people and you get them in the net and you show them Jesus. That's your main role in life. It says in verse 20, immediately... They left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them immediately. They left the boat and their father and they followed him. Now, it's fascinating if you look at this. They were in the middle of this. It's probably their business, their dad's business. Dad's probably getting ready to like, give it over to him. Jesus come by and he's preaching and he calls him and says, hey, follow me. This is your life. I want your life to look different. This is young 20 year old guys. And like dad's probably like looking around. He's in the middle of something. They're mending their nets like, hey, hand me a wrench. <laughs> right. And all of a sudden he's like, where'd you go? They're like, they got out of there. They started following Jesus and they started doing this work for Jesus. And later on, we're going to see that Jesus probably knew very well and good that these men that he called later in just a few years would lose their life for the sake, for the greater good that was to come. Calls them into action. So we are, um, because of that, in this place, sitting here, getting the opportunity to be in community with one another and share the Eucharist, which is the communion, and celebrate the work that God has done, that he laid out, by sharing the good news in word and in deed. Now, that deed was that thing that we begin to look at what's precious to us, which is the cross and the work that the cross does for us. So as we sing and we worship, you're going to have an opportunity in your community, by yourself, maybe in a community group or someone with you, to get up and go to one of these tables in the room 
and have a moment of maybe a prayer, remembrance, just between you and your Father, of the work that God has done for you and on your behalf for eternity through Jesus. So if you're new with us, maybe you're not sure if like you could partake in this thing. You don't have to get up. You don't have to walk over there. You can have your own time of reflection. Maybe have a conversation with Jesus. If you feel like it's appropriate for you and your relationship with Jesus to go experience this, you can make your way at any time during the song. And uh, I encourage you, maybe find that person that you're with and maybe circle up on the side and thank God for the things he's given and the way that you've had examples in your life and those who have have you've seen transformation and that you've gotten the opportunity for to see what it looks like repentance or maybe where you need to repent and have a shift in your mind would you pray with me father as we just celebrate the bread and the body that was broken for us god maybe we'd be moved by the work that you have done on our behalf and God, as we partake in the cup, the juice, that reminds, reminds us of the atonement of our sins, that we are adopted into your family, that we are a son, that we are a daughter whom you love, and you love enough to sacrifice, to shed your own blood for us. May we pause and reflect, and may we, this time be honorable to you. In your name we pray, amen. And this concludes this week's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed spending some time with us. And if you haven't already, like and subscribe to our YouTube and find us on Instagram at EngateCF. See you next week.